Today, I want to talk about sacraments and hugs. Hmm. Hugs are by far the most beautiful thing in the world, aren't they? Like, some of y'all have the spiritual gift of hugs. And I just, you, 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 you have it. You warm people's life when you hug them. Some of you don't. Uh, <laughs> and it's noticeable. No, <laughs> some are good, some are less good. Uh, but there's all different types of hugs out there. And I just want to kind of go through a few of these hugs uh, to, to, to kick us off. Uh, the first is the dreaded friend zone hug. Ooh. Y'all know, that? Y'all know that hug? If you look at this, this image here, you know, it looks like this dude got her a rose, and she's like, oh, sweet, and gives him a doogie. <laughs> ah, this hug conveys, I like you, but not like that, uh, which, is, which is nice and sweet, but you're now in the friend zone is what this is now doing. There's another image here for the friend zone. This is the perfect friend zone uh, hug, which is just perfect if you're, if you're just friends, but maybe you thought this person is my future, and by seeing and feeling this hug, you realize this isn't my future. <laughs> this, is, this is it. This is as far as we go. Uh, but worse than the friend zone hug, I would say, is the polite hug tap. Ugh. If there is one thing I hate more than anything else in the world, it's the hug tap. It's, there you go. There you go. Like, <laughs> it just feels so cold. <laughs> it feels so distant. Uh, you know when you, when you receive that, you're like, ah, I hate, someone doesn't like me. Uh, this, this is a touch that, that shows, like, maybe your shoulders are touching and, and one party pats the other on the back. I don't know, have you guys ever had this before, or is that just me? Maybe I'm the only one that's received this, this tap. Okay, um, well, that's not good, um, but it, it's more of a formal hug. It's more of a, you know, I, I'll do this because you, know, you clearly want a hug, and you're really just trying to get them to move on. You're like, okay, there you go. Okay, <laughs> you'll be okay. <laughs> it's very much like a getaway type of hug. Um, then there's, we'll just run through these. There's the one-sided hug. Uh, there's the, the awkward hug. Um, we need more of those. Some of you guys posted those on my Facebook uh, timeline uh, last night. Those are great. Um, we need, there's the snuggle type of hug, which we all want to love. Um, and then maybe my personal favorite, there's the behind the back hug, uh, which is just, <laughs> it just looks great, right? That, that, that feels like that just conveys so much love. All right. But the king of them all is the bear hug. The bear hug. And if you just look at this image and you, just, you can just see, if you look at the, the, the child crying and the dad embracing him, it, just, it conjures up so much. This type of hug is the hug you give when you haven't seen someone for a long time and they, they want to squeeze the life out of you. This is the hug of saying, I missed you so, so much. I need to tell you how much I've missed you. It's the one that says, I've missed you and I need you. It's really, it's what you're conveying is your need for the other person. It's the tightest hug possible. Now, why are we saying all of this? Because hugs define the relationship. As you hug someone, you realize, as we just talked about, what's going on in your relationship. You know, are we in a polite tap hug? Um, or have we arrived at something deeper? And so with all of that, what is your view of how God would hug you? 
How do you think God would approach you for a hug? Would he be standoffish? Would it be awkward? <laughs> would it be polite? Would it be friend zone? Uh, or maybe one-sided? Um, I believe that every single one of us, when we think of God, we think of all of the things that we've done to offend him, and we, and we think that he's really just fed up with us. And so if he does hug us, he's doing it because he feels like he is compelled to. Like, ugh. I mean, that, in, that, in that sense, that would be the polite tap, right? But what the scriptures teach us is that there is this huge bear hug awaiting us, where the prodigal son comes, comes back to his father, and the father runs at his son and picks him up and hugs him and embraces him and says, I, I love you, you're my son, like, that's, that is what happens with that type of hug. That's the, the grab on and hold tight and squeeze the life out of me. And so when, whenever any of my sons are doubting that I love them, I tell them, squeeze, squeeze harder, try to break my bones. I want them to know that I deeply love them. Don't you ever doubt that. And I say all this as a backdrop before we jump into this dusty, dusty old doctrine of sacraments, because I think it's, it's essential because I think a sacrament is a bear hug that God is giving to us. And we'll come back to that later. But here's how we'll talk, tackle this doctrine, and then we'll jump into the reading of the Word. Uh, three very sophisticated outlines for this doctrine. Sacra what? Sacra who? Sacra Slim Shady. Sacra how? <laughs> it made me think of the Eminem song. I know that. If you just hated what I just said, I'm sorry. What, really what we're trying to say is, what is it? Who is it, and how does this change us? But I prefer my three points, sacra what, sacra who, sacra how. Um, and let's stop here, and let, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 11 and Matthew 28, and Lizzie is going to be reading for us this morning. Good morning. Matthew 28:19 Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 11:23 to 26 For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do ask that your word would uh, spring off the page and into our hearts, that we would not just hear these words from 1 Corinthians 11 and, and Matthew uh, and throughout the, this, this sermon, Lord, that they would, they would cut down into our very souls, cut past the defenses we put up, wake us up to, to what you have to do. And so, Lord, would you not just call us uh, out of our spiritual slumber, but call us to really listen to the God who created us and loves us deeply. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, now we, we all have those moments in our lives when we, uh, we say that, are, that they're, they're, just, they're very formative for the rest of our lives. We can all remember those moments. You can think of a, a birthday party uh, that, that changed you forever, the way someone celebrated you. You can think of maybe an anniversary um, and how that, how that has changed you. Or maybe you can think of where you were at when you heard some uh, life-altering news. Or maybe when you, when you accepted a job that had, a, had life-altering change to who you are. And we can remember when we're at with, in these, these specific moments, we, they, they are usually tied to something very specific. There's like, you can remember a smell of those scenes. You can remember um, a sight or the, 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 the context of that scene. Um, and so there, 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 these moments that when we think of those big moments in life, they seem to always be locked in by some object that helps, rem- helps us to remember. And so you can pick up maybe a doll um, from, from that you had from when you were a kid, and you go like, oh, all these memories just come flooding back. Or an action figure, and you're like, oh, I used to love G.I. Joe. <laughs> like, like there's all of these memories just come flooding back that you completely locked away and forgot about. And so there's things like this, these objects, that just have this powerful tool to unlock not just our memories, but really, really what, what we thought about, where we were, and just tie us to something deeper. And so the, the human tendency to remember important events by tangible objects actually is carried into the religious sphere with sacraments. Sacraments are these visible signs that help us unpack a deeper magic to help us recover something that we lost or maybe disbelieved. And so the name sacrament comes from the Latin word sacramentum, which which means oath. And so it's God's sovereign oath to struggling sinners. But the Greek New Testament uses the word uh, mysterion or mystery, and that refers to matters that God once hid but has now revealed through his gospel. And when the Greek Bible was translated into Latin, they took the mystery, that word, and that became sacramentum. And so really it's kind of this, this formed this new meaning here of a, a mysterious oath being revealed to us is what a sacrament is. A mysterious oath being revealed to us. Uh, and so it's a mystery revealed through signs and seals, as we talked about in our uh, affirmation of faith. We call them signs because they symbolize something for us. They symbolize salvation, the forgiveness of sins, reception of the Holy Spirit, the ability to commune with Jesus in his presence. But they're not just signs, they're also seals. And this is where we, a lot of the, the questions come out. They, they, they means that they actually bring, these seals bring these blessings to us. They assure us and stir up our faith because they are packed with and they're sealed with this power. They assure us our faith. It's, it's kind of like having the backed by the Better Business Bureau on, uh, sticker on there, that they, they come with something bigger. It's a guarantee confirming all the promises of the covenant to us. These prominent promises are gifts from God above to us. Uh, now, we moved through all that rather quickly, and most of us are going glazed over glazed eyes. I can see it as well as I knew this would be the case. As we talk about it, we're going, uh-huh, uh-huh. I think it's easier to, conv- to help understand what sacraments are rather than just talking about them, but, but talking about the ex- actual sacraments themselves. And so let's move into the sacra who. Uh, and the two sacraments that we want to talk about with the sacra who um, are the baptism and Lord's Supper. So 
The reason why the church practices these two is because in both cases, Jesus ordains or commands us to do these two. Uh, As you look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, we, we read here, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, as we go, is kind of how it's translated there, we are commanded to make disciples or to discipleize as we're going all nations or, or pan-ethne, so all ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so as we said before, it's a sign, it's a seal of a mystery, and the sign of baptism is, is usually pretty obvious. It's with water, and there, there's a symbol of washing, of washing us clean uh, from sins, right? And so the, but the, the question always comes with the seal. What, what, is being, what is happening in baptism? What's happening in baptism? What, what's going on there, in, or in sacraments in particular? And so there's a spectrum here, and just give you kind of a, a, a spectrum of what the beliefs are. So our, our Catholics brothers and sisters would say that sacraments infuse grace uh, by their administration into the people of God. And so God's grace is, is transmitted through the sacraments as it's being administered right then. And so baptism or the washing with water, whether dunking or sprinkling, um, washes the sins off the person. It, it, it does the work right then and there. And they would point to 1 Peter 3, 21. Um, baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you. Now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's some, there's some, there's some meat in there that baptism saves you. And you go, okay, I, I can see where that thought comes there. Uh, but then on the complete end of the spectrum is, is I would say, the Baptist view, uh, and that the baptism is an ordinance. It's, they, these are symbols. It's a sign. It's, an, it's a memorial, but it's a sign, but they reverse the direction of the sign. And so instead of God's sign on them, it's our sign outward of what God is doing. And so rather than transmitting grace, these are opportunities for us to pledge our allegiance to Christ. Does that make sense? And so one view says baptism saves uh, by its administration. The other says that can't be possible. Uh, You don't put God as like a genie in the bottle. You rub the lamp and and he works on demand. And No, baptism is more of an expression of my love for Christ than everything else. However, I think there's a third option. And this is what we would hold to, and this is, we're not alone in this. Um, this third view meets these two options in the middle, not just to be a centrist, uh, but it's, it sees sacraments as a means of grace. Uh, this is how we see sacraments. They are, they are means or, or avenues or paths of grace that God works. Uh, this view doesn't say that baptism transmits grace on demand, uh, but it's a way that God uses to plant the seeds of faith. So it's planting seeds of faith. And so when I grew up, this is probably the most helpful way I've seen this. When I grew up, I grew up Baptist, and my view was that God saved me, and so I want to now share to the world my sign. This baptism is my sign to the world of what God has done in my life, and you want to share that. But when my sign went upward and outward, what happens when my faith stumbles? What happens, and what I found when I, when I saw my friends who were baptized, professed faith, and then they, they sinned greatly, what did they do 
when they sin then. If it was my sign to the world, and I'm now doing a different sign by showing all of the sins grievous that I've done, what happens? And what happened with them was they felt like, well, maybe I wasn't sincere enough when I was baptized. Maybe I, maybe I didn't actually, maybe it didn't actually stick. And so then they would get baptized again. And I knew a few that got baptized multiple, multiple times because it was my sign to the world. And if it was my sign, maybe I didn't do it right. Okay? But what I believe that Scripture is saying very clearly is that it's not my sign to the world, but Christ's sign on us. It is not our sign. Sacraments and signs in the Bible have never been mankind's sign. The rainbow was not our sign. It was God's sign not to destroy the earth. Circumcision was not our sign. It was God's sign that he would be their God and they his people. And baptism is God's sign that should this person put their hope and faith in them, then he will wash them clean. It does not initiate faith, but it carries with it the mystery of the gospel. And so you, you may have seen before, we, we here will baptize adults and babies. And if we believe that it's our sign to the world, then that just makes no sense in the, at all. Like, that would be stupid for us to baptize a baby who we know that has not shown any, hasn't been able to tell us what it believes inwardly, right? So that would make no sense at all. But we are now, what we are trying to do is saying it's a sign coming down from above that we were proclaiming over this child in hopes that one day they will look back on this event and say, my God has never left me behind. He has promised me ever since I was a baby to wash me clean. And I can look back on that and to see, see his commitment all throughout these years. All right. That's, that's always the, the most controversial one. <laughs> we can talk about that one. We probably should have a Q&A on that one <laughs> later. But the other sacrament, besides baptism, that Jesus commands or ordains the church in the Gospels is found in, it's found in the Gospels and in 1 Corinthians 11, where Jesus is celebrating this Passover meal, right? So if you're new to Christianity, uh, all the Jews every year would celebrate this Passover meal because once a year they would, they would celebrate this colossal event that was so important to their ancestors that on the night before God would deliver his people from their Egyptian oppressors, they ate this meal. And similarly, all throughout history since then, they're celebrating this Passover meal, and Jesus, on the night that he would deliver his people from their oppression, eats this meal. And they are celebrating this deliverance. And at the meal, when they're in Egypt eating the meal, the, the main course was the lamb. And so they, what they would do was they would slaughter the lamb, they would, they would take the blood and, and smear it over the doorposts, and then they would eat the lamb, and they would have this meal. And it was, there was a whole, whole structure to this Passover Seder meal. And then when the angel of the Lord came, it would, it would go by all these homes in the homes that had the blood over the doorpost, it would pass over them. And the ones that did not partake and did not smear the blood over the doorpost, the angel of the Lord would then strike down the firstborn son in Egypt. This is what happens in Egypt. And what we, I think what's so interesting is that when judgment comes to the people here, who does it come on? Does it come to only the bad people? 
That's what you would think would happen with this. Only those who are judgmental, or in their day, only those who are politically oppressing and and imprisoning them, you think this would only come to the Egyptians. But no, it comes on every single person there. And though Egypt was doing heinous sins, every single person was under the threat of judgment. But also, every single person had the opportunity to find safety under the bloodshed of another. And they smeared the blood on the door, and they were saved as the angel of the Lord passed over them. And Jesus, at the Last Supper, takes this unleavened bread, which carries the imagery of, of bread made in haste, as they were expecting this, this imminent judgment. And then they, they have the wine, which symbolizes the blood of the lamb that they just slaughtered. But in every Passover meal, they would eat lamb. Every meal. They would have a feast. If you went to a meal... I usually want some meat. There's, there's a, there is something hearty about that. There's that protein. And every meal, they would have the lamb. And Jesus would be going through this script. But he starts detouring from the original script. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25, where Jesus says, this is my body. And you're going, Jesus, this isn't part of the script. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, not the lamb's blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we see bread, check. We see wine, check. But where's the meat? Where is the lamb? And it's at this point that Jesus' radical message comes forward that I am the lamb who you find salvation in, that we celebrate what I have done for you. I was slayed so that you might live. The judgment of God will pass over you because of me. And this meal you now eat now takes on a whole new life. It, it, brings it, it bring, makes it much more beautiful of what you're actually celebrating. This bread is my body. This cup is my blood. Take, eat, and live. Hallelujah. Now, let's put this through our sacrament filter of going, well, what are we actually doing now? What is actually happening here? Okay, so as we said, here's the spectrum, all right? I would say the Catholic Church, our Catholic brothers and sisters would say that the bread and wine go through this transubstantiation or a transformation to where the, the, this miracle of God, by the power of his word and his spirit, actually changes the bread into the substance of his body and changes the wine into the substance of his blood. And so, though in appearance... It looks like bread and wine. It is actually, truly, Jesus' physical body and blood. So that, that's, that's a one end of the spectrum. For Baptists, it is an act of remembrance. It's a memorial, a time when we're called to think back on what Christ has done for us. Right? And so kind of two ends of the spectrum. Um, to you who think it's just a symbol... I want to recommend to you Martin Luther, who you would think would be the most anti-Catholic, but he and many other reformers would say that they're actually more Catholic in this regard, in their view of of the sacraments. Martin would would, would say this, like, he would just shout it. He He would just shout, this is my body. This is my body. Jesus said, this is my body. Why would we not believe him? It is literally, or he wouldn't say literally, it is his body. 
However, that night that Jesus held the bread, it, it had to at least been representational on some level, right? Because his body is holding the bread that says, this is my body. And so clearly it couldn't have been both. It had to at least been representational that night. Similarly, Jesus, as we said last week, is 100% God, 100% human, 200% forever. And so he is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, reigning. And yet when we celebrate this meal and we say, this is my body, he can't be in both places. He has a real human body. Last thing on that point. When Jesus is holding the cup and says, this is my blood, he hadn't died yet, right? The, the blood had not been taken from him yet. And so it, on one level, it has to be representational. But as quick as we are to dismiss the realness of Christ's presence in the Lord's Supper, we can look at John 6, 54, where Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so he's saying, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood, you do not have life in you. The sacrament has life in it. And so what is happening here? And we have to go, well, we can only affirm what Scripture affirms. This is my body, and yet Jesus has a real physical body. And we just keep coming back to these mysteries of God that we have to hold in tension. We keep doing this every single week. Or I can't even understand what we're happening here. We believe that Christ is not physically present, but he's spiritually present, is what we would say, in the sacraments in a very, very real way. And so something divine happens when we eat this meal. Just as the bread and the wine nourish us physically, so Christ by his spirit nourishes us spiritually. That's what we believe is happening here. Well, what does any of this have to do with bear hugs? I'm glad you asked. Um, now we come to our last point, sacra how. How does this change us? What do, what do we do with this doctrine? How do sacraments work on us? J.I. Packer, um, theologian, says, As the preaching of the word makes the gospel audible, so the sacraments make it visible, and God stirs up faith by both means. And so I could just read to you John 19.30 and say, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. But seeing it, changes things. It packs more punch. Seeing, seeing these things changes things. And so sacraments, therefore, function as a means of grace on the principle that seeing literally leads to believing, that it, it helps me believe. Sacraments are to assist us in our fellowship with God. They are, they are tools or instruments, just like prayer. They, they don't initiate faith, but they nourish it. They nourish our faith. And so sacraments are all about the assurance of God's love for you. What are sacraments about? They're about, God's, about assurance of God's love for you. And so it's, it's one thing for me to tell a child, I love you. For you to tell a child, I love you. But it is another for them to feel it. For them to know it. In, in our foster care training that we did a long time ago, um, one of the things that we learned from Dr. Karen Purvis is that touch is one of the most important vehicles for building a relationship with a child. Healthy touch can, can show affection, can give comfort, 
and it can give the child assurance. And so loving touch not only feels good, but it but actually produces the, the serotonin in your brain. It, 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 good, solid hugs come through what's, this, like what's called this proprioceptive input. That is, you feel it. Something signals into your brain, and it triggers endorphins, which reduce pain and produces a sense of well-being, right? It, it, and consistent, healthy touch lowers your cortisol, which is like your body's um, stress hormone, and it stabilizes your b- blood pressure, all the while boosting the child's creativity and the ability to learn. And so it's just fascinating that this happens just through touch. And so, sadly, many children don't get that. Sadly, many children don't experience warm and sensitive touch, but they experience harmful touch, or they experience no touch at all, and they experience neglect. And so safe touch triggers this overall happiness, but a lack of touch just has this damaging effects on the child, damaging effects on their psychological and social effects on them. But the beautiful thing is, even if that's true, even if a child comes to us this way, even if they've been that way, a healthy hug, a healthy touch, a high five, drawing letters on the backs of the child starts to literally rewire things for them to help them see things differently. It tells the brain that you are loved. Even when you don't believe it, even when the whole world doesn't, is telling you differently, it starts to help you believe it, even if you don't want to believe it. And so I could just assume my kids know that I love them and not say anything, or maybe I could do the bare minimum and say it once. Or... I could give them the bear hug that they know that they need. Because for most of us, saying I love you isn't enough. We don't believe it when someone says I love you. We need, we need to feel it. We need to feel it deep in our bones. Because we, we just doubt people's love all the time. We live in a world just filled with shame that I'm not good enough. That I'm not smart enough. That, that maybe I don't even matter. There's a psychotherapist, Virginia Satir, who said that we need four hugs a day to survive, eight hugs to maintain ourselves, and 12 hugs to grow. Goodness gracious. (laughs) According to her, we need eight hugs a day just to maintain. How many hugs have you had today? I'm guessing most of us are way up below that. We're nowhere near that. And I know we're in a global pandemic, which just complicates this even further. And the need for it even further, it's it's even harder. But it stresses the point even more. That we need to not just hear that Jesus loves me, we need to feel it. That we need to feel it. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are means by which God says, I want you to feel my love. They are the bear hugs of the Christian faith. I love you this deeply. And I want you to get that deep into your bones. And I want to give you joy because I know you doubt. I know you need to hear this. So take and eat. I want you to touch and taste my love for you. Don't doubt it. And if you do start doubting it, look back at your baptism if you've been baptized. As a reminder that God has washed you clean. The stain is there on the floor now. You've been washed clean. You've been washed. And now, you've, now I'm promising you with the Lord's Supper that I have paid your debt. 
It is finished right there. We get to taste that truth. Look at your sin, yes. Look at how much he had to wash off. Look at what it cost Christ. But then repent and believe at what he's done for you. Believe at what he's done for you, that Christ has done it. In the sacraments, Jesus is not saying, do this and I'll accept you. He's saying, by doing this, shows you the way that I've accepted you. It's in your experience of this that you start to experience grace. The sacraments are for our good. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think one of the great tragedies of, of modern evangelicalism is that we've turned things around to be all about what we do, not about what God has done. Have I done enough for God? If you ask, ask yourself that question, have I done enough? Have I shown my love for God? Am I good enough? Am I sincere enough? And it's all about me, me, me. We look at our sin and, and we see how we, we, we've taken off our wedding ring to God. And, and we, we've cheated on him. We've left God. And sometimes it just feels like as we walk in through the doors of this church, it, 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 it's difficult. It feels like we're putting our wedding ring back on as if we're coming back to a, to, a, to a spouse who knows we're unfaithful and we're just brimming with shame and, and we expect God to look at us with his wedding ring off, just wagging his finger and saying, why should I even let you in these doors? But that's not how he greets us. The sacraments remind us we come in here to celebrate not what we've done, but what Christ has done. And God never takes off his wedding ring. God is committed even when you aren't. Even as Jesus went to the cross for you and me, he was committed to you and me. And so the minute you doubt your acceptance and your welcome in Christ, remember the sacraments. <laughs> remember that you've been changed and washed clean. Martin Luther would tell the devil, I've been baptized. <laughs> I've been washed clean of that. Shouting at the devil. And so remember it. Remember the meal that you eat. Christ has paid the debt. You don't have to walk in here hoping for a polite tap of a hug from God, you know you can come in here and feel the full warmth and embrace of God with a bear hug, that I love you and I've made a way for you. And so how do you apply this sermon? I feel like this is the easiest sermon for me to give you an application to. Have you been baptized? Come forward. Why would you wait? Talk with me afterwards. And for those of you who've confessed your faith and have been baptized, I'd say today we get to do it. Just take and eat. Don't neglect this. Don't neglect this beautiful meal that is for us, that is a meal that is eternal life as we eat it. And it, and it brings life to us. And then lastly, give someone a hug today. We know they need it. Let's pray.